God, we are so, so thankful uh, for today. We are so thankful, God, that you have a passion for uh, the spread of your glory uh, throughout all the nations. And God, we do thank you that the gospel is unbound. We thank you that the gospel is not restricted, but Lord, the gospel is the power of God to save. And Lord, we are so humbled and honored that we get to play a role in what you're doing around the world. And God, I pray that you'd help us to see that today, that you'd help us to, to better grasp our assignment as the church uh, living in 2021. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, there was a village church in Russia that experienced great growth in their children's Sunday school uh, attendance. And the reason for this is because the priest there was passing out candy uh, for the children who participated. So Heidi Sweet, there's an idea for you to grow the attendance. He's passing out candy, so all these kids started coming more, coming more consistently. And there was this one faithful boy who was a very aggressive boy who came just about every single week. And he loved to, to recite scripture, get his candy, and go on with his day. Well, the priest decided to invest in him, invited him to church school. And of course, he said yes, because he'd much rather go to church school than do his household chores. And he was able to, to learn all four gospels. And through candy being this motivator, he was able to actually memorize all four gospels. He was able to win uh, special prizes reciting uh, these four gospels. Well, some 60 years later, uh, this student still enjoyed uh, reciting scripture, but in a context that would have horrified the priest. See, some 60 years later, this student would actually become the leader of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union in the 50s and 60s. Uh, his name uh, was Nikita Khrushchev. Now, this, I think, clearly illustrates that the why is just as important as the what. That motives matter. Because this boy who loved to recite scripture growing up ended up growing up and actually denouncing the existence of God by saying, my astronauts were up there in space and didn't see him. See, he recited scripture, he memorized scripture for the candy, for the reward, for the bribe. Motives matter. That artificial motivation will produce artificial results. In fact, I think that the why we do what we do has the power to shape the how of what we do. And I think that's important because as we think about global outreach, and we spend today, we call this reach, where we think about our global outreach efforts in reaching the nations, we need to be reminded today that our motives matter. They matter not just because we want to have pure motives, but our motives shape how we actually do global outreach. And of course, there are bad motives to have. There are unhealthy motivators in, in, uh, in participating in global outreach, that you can participate in this maybe out of guilt or out of obligation, maybe to pat yourself on the back or to appear to be more generous as we give money towards these different uh, outreach um, uh, projects. But there are also a lot of good and powerful motivators that I just want to share with us this morning before we dive into this passage. Here's one great motivator, and that is just being obedient to the great commission that Jesus gives to us in Matthew chapter 28. Let me read this for us. Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Just to state the obvious here, this is a command that Jesus gives us. This is not optional, which means if you as an individual or for us as a church, if we're not doing Matthew 28, we are living in disobedience. So this command to, to participate in going and making disciples of all nations is for all of us. It's not for like the super Christians, whoever they are. This is for every single one of us. And I think this is a wonderful motivator for engaging in global outreach. Here's another one. Another great motivator is being motivated by God's glory. That you're motivated by even Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 to be a reality which says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So great motivation here is for us to participate in global outreach to spread a passion for the glory of God throughout the earth. And so when you think about global missions through that lens, being motivated by God's glory, missions then becomes us joining in with God and his passion to love the nations by offering Jesus for their joy and for his praise. And so missions actually finds its origin in God. This isn't man-centered. This is actually God-centered because it's being driven by the glory of God and his name to spread throughout the earth. I think this is also really important just to be reminded, we don't want to divorce our theology from our missiology. We, we don't want to separate our doctrine and what we know to be true about God from global outreach because understanding who God is and what's on his heart, what's, what, what he is up to throughout the world will actually shape how we participate in global outreach. Understanding that the scriptures are clear, God's mission here is that he wants to spread his name and the glory to all the nations, every tongue, every tribe, to sing his praise. That's what God is about. Let me give you a couple of examples. There are dozens of passages that reinforce this point. Let me just give you two this morning. Isaiah chapter 12, verse four says, make known his, God, God's deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Romans nine, verse 17, that his, God's name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Okay, so the worship of God and the glorifying of God is not just the goal of missions, but this actually becomes the motivation for missions or the fuel for missions. As John Piper has famously put it, worship or missions exist because worship does not. Missions exist because worship does not. What he means by that is that we are to engage in global outreach, do things like reach, give a, a percent of our budget towards global outreach because there are people groups out there, there are nations that do not worship God yet. And so we, we go and we want God's glory to fill the earth. That is a good motivator. Number three, another good motivator, I think, is the reality that there are real people who will spend eternity separated from God in hell forever and ever unless they trust in Jesus. That is a, a sobering reality. 
I don't know how much time you spent just thinking about that or like going through your day, looking at people as you interact, wondering, will they be with God forever and ever? Will they not be with God forever and ever? It's sobering. And that type of perspective has a power to shape how you live. And I think of even Romans chapter 10 here, which says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But here's the question, verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not yet believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Look, as a church, we participate in global outreach because there are people around the world who've never even heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for us, we have been given mercy and an opportunity to be saved from our sins and to avoid hell. We want to share that way with other people. It's a good motivator. Number four, another great motivator is not just for people to avoid hell, but for people to experience the love of Jesus and to be in a right relationship with their creator, right? For us who have that relationship with God, who know Jesus personally, to to have that just fill your soul that you can actually know God, your creator, we wanna share that with other people. Paul actually describes our role as ambassadors of God, where we're trying to persuade others to God. Even 2 Corinthians chapter five, we see Paul's motives here. It says, for the love of Christ controls us, it empowers him, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. It's a powerful motivator when you're convinced that what you have with Jesus is too good to keep to yourself. You've got to share it. And so for that to to motivate you towards evangelism and for global outreach can be a very, very good motivator. These are all helpful motivations for why we do global outreach. These are all really helpful because, again, motives matter. They shape how we do global outreach. But can I share with you this morning one motivator for global outreach that is almost always neglected. There's a powerful motivation for global outreach that is almost never talked about. It's the motivation that is found within one's own eschatology. Now, I know when I say that word, you're probably like, really, Chris, again? Like, we just spent seven weeks talking about end times. Like, let's move on. Like, stop beating this drum. But when the Global Outreach Committee asked me to preach today on reach, I could not help but see just such a powerful and really intimate connection between global outreach and one's own eschatology or understanding of the end times, the last days. Because look, over the last seven weeks, we've seen a lot. But one thing that we've seen is how your belief about the future impacts how you live right now in the present. Right? We try to pull out so many of those truths and those implications. We've, we've seen uh, the new heavens and the new earth and what that might be like. We've talked about our glorified bodies. We, we've talked about the last judgment. We've talked about the second coming of Jesus. And, and all of those realities should shape how we participate in global outreach. 
that we've seen that death is certain, judgment is coming, hell is real, and Jesus is the answer. Like, because those things are true, that has to inform the way that we do global outreach. It has to. And so this morning, I want to kind of connect the dots for us related to our eschatology and global outreach because there is no doubt about the level of importance throughout the New Testament about the second coming of Jesus. We've seen this. There are over 300 references alone in the New Testament about the second coming of Jesus. That's one every five verses. The Apostle Paul uh, had 50 different references to the second coming of Jesus. And so statistically speaking, I I know Christmas is coming in the next couple of weeks, which is crazy, but that's the first coming of Jesus with the incarnation. But the second coming of Jesus throughout the New Testament, there are eight times more references to the second coming of Jesus than his first coming. Whole books have been dedicated to the second coming of Jesus, first and second Thessalonians, Revelation, Whole chapters have been dedicated, Matthew 23, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. And when you just like pause and zoom out for a moment and you ask the question, once you become saved, why are you still on the earth? Like why not just go immediately to heaven? Like why are we still here? I think the answer to that is in part because we have this message called the gospel that needs to go out to the ends of the earth. That's in part why we're still here. Okay, so if that's true, and there's such an emphasis throughout the New Testament on the second coming of Jesus, then the connection there is that one of the primary motivators that should empower us to have urgency towards our assignment is our eschatology. That's the link that I want us to see this morning. I think Matthew 24 is going to show us our unique role in human history. And when we understand that, we we understand just how how life is a vapor here. We're here today, gone tomorrow. This life here is so temporary and so fleeting that will create a sense of urgency in our assignment as the church. So Matthew 24, let me just frame the section here, the context of what's going on. We're going to spend uh, almost our entire time on verse 14, but I think it's important to see that in verse 3, the disciples begin by privately asking Jesus a couple of questions. The first question they ask him is, when will these things be? That question is actually being asked because of what Jesus said in verses 1 and 2, that they're at the, the temple, which was this magnificent structure. And Jesus says, this is actually all going to crumble. This isn't going to last. And so they're like, well, when will, when will that happen, right? And so he answers that. But then they ask him another question in verse 3, which is, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Right? We've looked at that question in our last sermon series on eschatology, but Jesus' response is so fascinating. In chapter 24 of Matthew, he begins by highlighting the fact that there will be these global signs that will become increasingly worse over time. But then he adds one objective that will become increasingly more successful. And that's found in verse 14, that his followers will preach the gospel of the kingdom 
to the ends of the earth, and then he will come. I find that interesting, that in answering this question, he lists some really bad things that will happen, horrible things, these wars and famines and earthquakes and and false prophets and all, all kinds of people are falling away from the faith. But then he adds one thing that's positive, that is successful, and is glorious, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ will spread throughout all the nations. And then that will be a sign of his imminent return. I love how George Ladd uh, describes this verse. He says, this verse is one of the most important in all the word of God to ascertain the meaning and purpose in human history. This is both the meaning of history and the mission of the church. To give ourselves wholeheartedly to anything else is to miss the essence of both. All right, this verse is huge and not only informing our role in God's redemptive plan, but this verse informs our primary assignment as we live a purpose life in God's kingdom. So what I want to do this morning with this verse, I want to show us three things about our assignment because of Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Here is the first one. Verse 14 reminds us that we have a message of magnificent worth. When you read verse 14, I don't know about you, but for me, when I read that verse, one of the things that sticks out to me is what the church is called to proclaim to all the nations. And it's clear. We are not called to proclaim just good advice to the nations. We're not called to proclaim a a gospel of prosperity uh, to the nations. We're not called to, to proclaim a message where we're telling the nations, hey, work harder to earn God's love, work harder to earn God's acceptance in heaven. No, what we are called to proclaim in Jesus's words here is the gospel of the kingdom. Now, that's an interesting phrase. That's a very interesting way that Jesus puts it. In fact, this phrase is somewhat unique. It actually only shows up two other places throughout the New Testament, and both occurrences happen in Matthew's gospel. Happens in Matthew 4 and Matthew 9. It says in Matthew 4, verse 23, and he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. In Matthew 9, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. All right, it's such a unique phrase. Let's kind of break it down for a moment. Let me just kind of explain uh, the gospel and the kingdom and how they're connected. The word gospel means good news. This means a a favorable announcement. So we are called to proclaim to the nations the good news of the kingdom of Jesus. And when you think about it, the, the gospel is really about the kingdom of God. It's really about the reign of God. It's about the, the triumph and the victory of King Jesus over sin, over death, over Satan, over judgment, over guilt, and over our fear. And it's a message that's really good news that we are called to proclaim because the good news is found in part that God reigns and you don't. That's really good news. The the, the gospel is declaring 
that you were not made to sit on the throne of your heart, only King Jesus should be there. And that's really good news because that is a message of hope. Even Isaiah 52 verse 7 reinforces this. It says, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces salvation, and says to Zion, your God reigns. So this gospel of the kingdom is good news because it is a declaration of hope. It's a declaration of grace. It's a declaration of mercy. It is a declaration of the future that is found with Jesus forever and ever. And that is really good news. And the reason why this is true, like the reason why we can actually proclaim this is because the king of this kingdom, King Jesus, did something that is utterly amazing when you stop and think about it. That King Jesus actually died in the place of his own citizens in his own kingdom who were disobedient, who were rebellious, and who were sinful. Like that's, that's crazy when you think about it for a moment. Like the king over this cosmic kingdom, Jesus Christ, instead of leaving his subjects in his kingdom in condemnation and guilt and separation from him forever and ever, he decides to die for those people. He decides to actually take their place on a cross so that he can now invite them into his kingdom forever and ever. Like that's, that is un- unbelievable to think about. It is a, a message of magnificent worth because we were doomed before King Jesus actually did that. I mean, we were, were living lives of like staging these coups, trying to get Jesus off the throne so that you and I can be there and call the shots in our life. And yet Jesus dies for us. He removes the wrath. He removes the condemnation. He removes the guilt. And he rose to life three days later, showing his victory over everything. And now he invites anybody who believes in Jesus, who turns from their sins and says, Jesus is my king, I will live for him. Jesus invites that person into eternal life in his kingdom forever and ever. That's an amazing news that we get to share. Like that is a message of magnificent worth. And the aim here is we proclaim this message to the kingdoms. So we want the nations to know Jesus. We want the nations to love Jesus. We want the nations to serve and and follow Jesus. We, We want the nations to have at the center of their affections Jesus Christ and all that he has done for them. So Jesus' phrase here, the, the gospel of the kingdom here, I think communicates this intimate link between global outreach and the kingdom of God. That the missionary work of the church is really an eschatological foretaste of the kingdom that Jesus will come and bring in its fullness. That missions can be seen as the means by which the end can be tasted in the present. Because when you think about it, like missions for the church is our primary role in between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. And it's a foretaste of the future because whenever a sinner repents and believes in Jesus and lives within Jesus's kingdom, 
that is a small foretaste of something much better that will happen in the future when that individual will be with Jesus in his presence forever and ever. So church, we have a message of magnificent worth. Another thing, though, that this verse shows us is a promise of certain fulfillment. Do you see the promise here in verse 14? Jesus says that this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is a statement of guarantee by King Jesus. And the ground of the certainty here is the sovereignty of King Jesus. Because remember, in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, what did he say? He said, all authority has been given to me. Not not just some, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Nothing can stop Jesus. Like Jesus declared in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Job declares in the Old Testament, Job chapter 42, verse 2, about God, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So this guarantee is is amazing. When you think about being motivated towards engaging in global outreach, and we need this, this guarantee because notice the scope of this assignment. You can't ignore it. The scope of our assignment is to proclaim the gospel to all the nations, like the whole world. And this is why we should care about this. But to be frank with you, this is a daunting task. Like this is more than overwhelming. This this is actually impossible for you and I to accomplish this. We can't do this apart from God's work by his spirit. And that's why I love this verse. I love this verse because we have this, this promise here of certain fulfillment that's guaranteed by King Jesus himself. He says that this will happen and then the end will come and I will return. I think this this fulfillment here, this promise of this certain fulfillment gives us the motivation to be bold, to be courageous, and to be willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to complete this assignment. Now, I want to be clear about a couple of things in this verse. Uh, The first one here is that Jesus' claim does not imply that all peoples will be converted. This isn't a, a statement of universalism by Jesus, but rather, I think what he's talking about here is that his kingdom will not come in its fullness until all the people groups have had an opportunity to embrace or reject King Jesus. Okay, and then in addition, I think we're to understand nations here to refer to people groups or unique ethnicities. Okay, by this phrase, all the nations, Jesus was not referring to just all the countries or all the nation states, but the wording he chooses here is the Greek word ethne, which points to ethnicities or the languages which constitute the peoples of the earth. So, for example, our assignment here is not just to reach the countries or like the the nation of India, but to even reach the dozens and dozens of unique people groups within India, for example. Like the people groups like Abdul or Abor or Bagdi, those people groups, and dozens and dozens of more people groups that we are called to reach. And this is why 
one of our core values within our global outreach ministry is centered on reaching unreached people groups. That for us, we want every people group to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That according to the Joshua Project, there are over 17,000 unique people groups in the world. And there are almost 7,000 of those that are unreached. That's crazy. Like that, for us, that's unacceptable. That's why we press this every year. We've got to do something. We've got to play a role in what God's doing around the world because there are people who have not been reached yet with the God, not even an opportunity to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. David Platt puts it this way. He says, this side of heaven owes the gospel to every unsaved person this side of hell. So church, we have a responsibility and a privilege to go and declare God's saving gospel among the nations. And even to to just directly connect this to our eschatology, there's a passage in, in Revelation 7 where we have a vision of what the throne room of God will be like. And it involves every tribe, every tongue, and every language. Just listen to this passage. It says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. That's the vision of what will happen. The problem is, is that there is a gap. There's a gap between Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, and this scene in Revelation 7. And our perspective is, is that by God's grace, we might play a role in bridging that gap with our global outreach efforts. And Jesus is guaranteeing that that gap will be closed. So Matthew chapter 24, verse 14 has shown us we have a message of magnificent worth. We have a promise of certain fulfillment. Here's the last thing that I'll point out is that we have a task of urgent incompleteness. Just to state the obvious, Jesus has not yet returned. That there are nations that have not been reached yet. And what that means is that our task is unfinished. Our assignment is not yet complete. Church, we have work to do here in this area. Like, it's not time to take our foot off the pedal. Like, all right, I've been saved, I'm good. No, you've been saved in order to reach others with the gospel. George Ladd, again, puts it so well. He says, God alone knows the definition of terms. I cannot precisely define who all the nations are, but I do not need to know. I know only one thing. Christ has not yet returned. Therefore, the task is not yet done. When it is done, Christ will come. So our responsibility is not to insist on defining the terms. Our responsibility is to complete the task. So long as Christ does not return, our work is undone. Let us get busy and complete our mission. Maybe you'd put this differently, church. 
What if I told you that we can, within God's sovereign plan, that we can actually hasten the coming of Jesus? We can actually cause him to come back sooner by participating in global outreach. Second Peter chapter three alludes to this. It says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of, of holiness and godliness waiting for, but not just waiting for, hastening the coming of the day of God? That there's a calling upon our lives where, yes, we are to wait for Jesus, but we can actually get him to come here sooner because of Matthew 24, verse 14. So there's a way for us to wait and to faithfully wait for the Lord that results in global outreach becoming a high priority so that he can come back sooner. Now, let me be clear, okay, just to state some good theology here. Jesus is not waiting on us, all right? We are waiting on him, but... I think the more that we set our hearts fully on his return, the more that we are yearning for him to come back, the more that we are desiring to see him more than desiring the things in this world, the the temporary possessions and pleasures and experiences, the more urgency that we will have in global outreach and reaching the nations, which will result in him coming back sooner. The gospel proclamation leads to kingdom consummation. That what this is showing us is that Jesus will return. He will consummate his kingdom in full when the mission is accomplished. I don't know about you, that is a motivator for me. I want to see Jesus and I want to see him soon. And so this becomes a strong and powerful motivator to to get Jesus to come back and for him to to usher us into this eternal state when our assignment is done. But just another thing that's so interesting about this is that there's no other verse in the Bible that says, then the end will come, as it relates to something that Christians are called to do. It's so interesting. Like Matthew 24, verse 6, so a couple verses before verse 14, Jesus said, for these things must take place, but that is not yet the end. But verse 14 says, after the successful preaching of the gospel of the kingdom to the entire, uh, all the nations, then the end shall come. So when the church fulfills its divinely appointed mission, Jesus will come back. So look, how much more should this be a high priority for us? Like, do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to be with him in his presence? Do you want to experience all that we talked about last week with the new heavens and the new earth, then that desire you have for Jesus will be directly seen in the urgency to engage in global outreach. I think this is, that's what this verse confronts within us. This verse confronts the reality of the intensity of your desire to be with Jesus is directly seen in how committed and how urgent your life is in reaching the nations with the gospel. Or to put it differently, if I wanted to know in your life how badly you want to see Jesus, all I have to see is how urgent your life is in reaching the nations with the gospel of Jesus. But that's why we care about global missions. 
We want the nations to know Jesus, and we want to see Jesus all the sooner. And so because that's true, uh, this morning I want to just provide a couple of application points for us as we think about participating in global outreach. You guys got this guy that's on your chair. It's a wonderful next steps. Let me provide some more supplemental uh, ways that we can participate in this. Number one, let me just encourage you to pray fervently, to pray fervently. Like, prayer is not just an afterthought to ministry. Prayer is the ministry. And the reality is is that you pray about that which you love. And also, the things that we pray about shape our desires. It's both ways. I think that's why Jesus commands us to pray for the harvest in Luke chapter 10. So let me challenge you, if you don't already, make it a regular habit in your prayer life to pray for the nations, to pray for this verse to be a reality. And then secondly, we would encourage you to give consistently, financially give. We're doing a Christmas offering right now, as we've been talking about several times, and we have a goal, and we've stated that goal, but that doesn't mean we can't exceed it. I would love for us to exceed it. I mean, these projects are incredible. Like, we have the ability to partner with Wycliffe and Jesus Film to take the Bible and for them to translate it in these languages so people can have it and read about Jesus. Like, that checks every box as far as our core values as a church. Like, this is incredible. We have that ability. And for us who have been given so much to be able to sacrifice and participate in that, and if we exceed it, man, we will fund more projects, not just those four. We'll do more so that more people can get the gospel and the word of God in their hands so they can know Jesus. And I, look, I just want to thank you, church. You, you guys are so generous. Like, I, it's humbling to stand up here and, and for me just to, just to thank you for your generosity week in, week out, year after year, not just with the Christmas offering, but the general fund, which we give a percent of that towards missions, I, on behalf of the others, just want to thank you for your generosity because it enables us to do what we do every week and to help reach unreached people groups. And so but this is a great way to participate. We can give consistently. And then thirdly, and Connor definitely talked about this a minute ago, but we can live with urgency <clears throat> that believing in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, means that you will live as a missionary, no matter if you're overseas or cross-cultural or if you're here in Indy. Like you want the gospel to go forth to all the nations. You have no idea who you might bump into where sharing the gospel could lead to their salvation and they could share the gospel with other people. And that's how the gospel spreads. And so living with that type of focus and mentality of saying, God, what do you have for me today? Who do you want me to share this message with today in my sphere of influence? Look, church, don't miss what God is doing. Be a part of this. Get the nations on your heart. Think rightly about God's global purposes and feel deeply about his marvelous works, which he's displaying for all the nations to see his worth and his glory. Let's pray together. God, we do thank you. We praise you for Reach Sunday. Got a chance where we get to just pause and think about what you are doing around the world. And Lord, it is humbling. It is humbling to know that you have taken a people who were your enemies. Lord, we were living in sin and guilt and condemnation. And God, you have not only saved us, but you have sent us on mission. 
you've given us an assignment, an amazing assignment, Lord, where we can take this gospel and, and spread it and share it for all to hear. God, we want to be faithful in that message. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to yearn for your return because the more that we desire that, the more that we will live out this assignment to reach the nations. So, Lord, receive glory from our efforts that you are inspiring by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.